Amen, amen. Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. If it's your first time, I'm Billy. Uh, I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here, uh, and that's a huge honor for me to get to do that. What an incredible day we've had already. Uh, seeing eight people baptized is, is just an incredible testimony to what God's doing. Uh, so we're super excited about that and excited about what God has in store this morning through his word. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 4. Uh, John chapter 4. Uh, as many of you guys know, we've been walking through the book of John, the gospel of John, uh, in a series called The Real Jesus. And so one of the biggest struggles today in our culture, in our world, is people are making up their own view of Jesus. Whatever they want Jesus to be, they just kind of build a bear towards whatever they want and Jesus is good with them, and they're good with Jesus, and they're a Christian. But the only problem with that is that Scripture reveals to us a certain Jesus, a, a truth Jesus, the real Jesus. And if we want to follow him, and if we want to be a Christian, then we must see him for who he is. And so we've been working our way through the book of John as, as, as the Apostle John has been showing us who Christ is. And this morning we have an incredible story out of John chapter 4, which is an encounter with a lady uh, that is known as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. And so many of you guys have probably heard this. If you haven't, you're in for a treat this morning. Uh, just an encouragement as we start this. I love encounters with Jesus. Um, they're probably my favorite thing. There's nothing that has impacted me more and shaped my theology more uh, than encounters with Jesus. And what I mean when I say encounters are when Jesus himself, when he walked the earth, uh, approached one individual. And we get a record of the conversation between God the Son, Jesus, and this person. There's nothing that reveals the heart of God better to us in Scripture than these conversations and these records that we have uh, in the book, uh, in the Bible. And so if you got your Bibles, John 4, verse 1, we're going to start there. And let's read together. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was, going, was, he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. I want you to underline that verse. Now he had to go through Samaria. At this point, Jewish people would have not traveled through Samaria. If you think about it, um, he was, uh, Samaria would have been one of those places that uh, would have been made up of Samaritan people. Jewish people didn't get along with Samaritans. And so instead of going due north up towards Galilee, they would actually go around uh, Samaria and take a really a three-day trip and make it a six-day trip around just so they wouldn't have to see these people. How much do you have to hate a group of people uh, to, to travel three more days through the desert instead of seeing them? I mean, it's incredible. So Jesus says, the heck with that. Uh, I love all people. I'm going through Samaria. And we figure out why. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground that Jacob, that's from the Old Testament, had given to his son Joseph. That was his son in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by this well, and the time was about noon. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food at this time. And the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
So again, we see that Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, most Jewish people would not. They hated Samaritans. Uh, these people to them were uh, like animals. They were uh, half Jewish and half uh, Assyrian, and they, were kind of, they would call them like half-breeds, and they just were, were people that they didn't respect. They treated them as if they were not even real people. This would, they would also uh, just, just not go near them. Uh, so what does Jesus do? Well, uh, Jesus has a plan. He's, he's, he's after somebody, and so he is seeking this lady out. And when he does, he breaks all kind of barriers to get to her, uh, all kind of cultural barriers, religious barriers, traditional barriers, racial barriers. All of this, Jesus literally just explodes through uh, in one thing, and I could spend a lot of time talking about it, but I don't really have that much time. But just know uh, this was a big deal because Jesus was in a place that he shouldn't have been talking to a woman that he shouldn't have been talking to for a purpose that he shouldn't have been there. And this is what the gospel does is the gospel breaks down walls, racial walls, traditional walls, religious walls, cultural walls, and creates God a people for himself, a diverse group of people. We saw in John 3, a religious man get saved. Now we're seeing an outcast, adulterous woman that we're about to find uh, who's not Jewish be saved, and they're creating into one body of Christ, one people, one spirit is saving all people, and now you have this new church that's being formed, this new kingdom that's being made up of diverse groups of people. Also, one thing to note is that he was there at noon, right? And so uh, you should know noon is a pretty hot time of day. Most people don't cut their grass or even go outside uh, at 12 noon because it is hot. Well, it's the same thing. They're in the middle of a desert. And so this woman uh, was coming to the well at noon. So that reveals something to us. She did not want to be seen by anybody because if she was normal, she would have come in the morning time or in the evening. And so she's there at noon. We don't yet know why, uh, but we're about to find out. Verse 10. So Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, then you would have asked him for a drink and he would have given you living water. Verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is very deep. Where can you get this living water? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so we see this conversation, and this lady is thinking about physical water the whole time, and Jesus is trying to show her something spiritual. He's using the water, the well that these, these two people are at, and he's trying to take her to a spiritual level, but she's thinking on a physical uh, level. Because we know this because later on in John chapter 7, Jesus is going to explain this whole idea of uh, a living water inside of us stirring up. Listen to what he says, John 7, 37 and 38. Jesus says these words. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said... Rivers of living water will flow from within them, and by this Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, 
since Jesus had not yet been glorified or went back uh, to heaven. So Jesus is making a pretty profound promise here to this lady that all of mine and yours and her deepest thirst are satisfied in one place with one person, and that person is him. Our deepest thirst and our deepest satisfaction and these holes in our heart that we search to find fulfillment in in this world are not meant to be fulfilled in our children. They're not meant to be fulfilled in our spouse or any person, not meant to be fulfilled in religion or church. They're not meant to be fulfilled in money or relationships or uh, friends or popularity or achievement. And if we look to anything other than Christ, then we are going to be just like this woman who's coming to this well with her jar every day and she's filling it up with water, she's drinking it, and is in need of fulfillment once again. And Jesus says, when you come to me, it's not like that. When you come to me, I'm the well that never runs dry. Once you taste of me, you will have a natural spring within you, the Spirit of God that will begin to satisfy you from the inside out. And the truth of the reality is this, that we were created by God. Our souls weren't created or designed to be satisfied in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ. And really, that's the main point of this passage. If I had one point for you to write down, it'd be this. Only Jesus can satisfy the unquenchable thirst in your heart. Only Jesus can satisfy. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, says it this way. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And I'm here to tell you today, every person in this room was made for another world. If you're looking for satisfaction and you're looking for fulfillment in this world, you will always find uh, something that will never fulfill you. But when we find Christ, we find the very reason we were created. The best way I know to explain it is every person in this room has a God-sized shaped hole in your heart. And only when Christ fits in there does it satisfy. Everything else we try to force in there and we try to serve and we try to satisfy our life with, it only leaves us uh, with despair. We never find it. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, well, then give me this water so that I don't have to be thirsty and I, I don't have to come, keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus told her, well, go call your husband and come back. Now's when it gets really interesting. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And you can almost feel the air drain out of the room at this point but it's only her and Jesus now the disciples aren't there it's just them two and he says in the man you now live with or have is not your husband what you have just said is quite true sir I can see that you are a prophet so, so here's what I'm thinking this lady is ready for the living water right she's ready man she's she's ready to give her life to Christ she wants this living water that Jesus is offering. At most places at this point, the church is like, hey, come down to the front, sign this card, pray this prayer. Let's get you up here in the baptismal. Let's baptize you. And man, we got you. Uh, we got a number on the list. Doom, let's say this person got saved. Boom, you're going to heaven. You're good, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> Jesus goes straight uh, to the jugular of this lady. I mean, literally straight to the biggest wound in her life because he knows 
the deep healing that we need many times will go through the deepest wounds in our life. And so what Jesus is doing is he's getting to this lady's heart and he's going to it. Jesus is not interested in easy believism where you just pray a little fake prayer and then you refuse to be honest about who you truly are and then you just go about your, your life as if nothing happened. It's not how the gospel works. There's one prerequisite for God to do a work in our lives and that prerequisite is honesty. Listen to me. To be partially known is to be unknown. And you cannot be fully loved by God if you have not made yourself fully known to God. And God already knows you. It's less about God and more about you because when we fully present ourselves to God, and I'm not talking about the cleaned up version of yourself, I'm talking about the broken, jacked up you to God, which he already knows, and we begin to realize that God loves that version of ourself, not the cleaned up version of ourself, it's then that the gospel begins to take root in our life. Because that's really what's wrong with the church today and a lot of reasons is because, because we're not honest about who we are before God, we don't receive grace from God. And when we don't receive grace from God, we don't know how to give grace to other people that are just as messed up as we are, even though we haven't been honest about it. But Jesus wasn't like that. We get a perfect picture of who Christ is today. Jesus comes to this lady and he, he says, I want you to go get that thing that you are the most embarrassed of. I want you to go get that thing in your life that every time it comes up, you're just filled with shame and hope that nobody finds this out. I want you to go get that thing that has driven you to be at this well at noon because you wanted to avoid everybody because you believe this is, this is how people have labeled you. And Jesus says, you go get that. And that thing that you're most embarrassed about is the very thing that I, sent, that I came to die for. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus says, Yet while we were sinners, yet while we were at our worst, is when Christ came to die and give us life. Jesus knows the well that this lady's looking for. He knows that she's looking for satisfaction in men and relationships and something that will never give her what she's looking for. But in love, he wants to show her that. And he wants to take her to this, this hole in her heart that she's trying to fill with men and men and men. And he wants to lead her to turn away from it so that she can find a superior well, the only well. And let's see how it happens. Verse 20, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we Jews worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. And then the woman said, I know that Messiah called Jesus Christ is coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And then Jesus looks at her and says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am this Jesus Christ. The biggest mic drop moment probably in the book of John right there. LOL. What does she do 
when the Spirit of God begins to draw her and reveal her heart. I think it's important that we see this. When Jesus is like, I mean, he's in the, he's in the midst of drawing her in. She's about to be saved. And what she starts doing is she starts trying to, to, to throw barriers in the way of Jesus saving her. I call it Jesus juking. And I deal with this a lot because I have a lot of conversations with people about Jesus. And what happens is when I begin to talk to them about Christ and what he wants to do in their life, they try to change the subject or they try to get the attention off of themselves or they try to uh, make an excuse of why Jesus wouldn't love them or why the church is, is wrong and somebody did this or they had a bad church experience. But here's the reality. You can't juke Jesus. Like God, he knows you and he's Jesus. He's smarter than you. Like you've met your match when you come into these conversations with Christ. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows everything about you. And Jesus knows this lady and he knows her deepest, darkest sins and her deepest, darkest struggles. And he begins to take a her trying to change the subject and talk about worshiping on a mountain. And he says, no, actually, this is the root of the problem. You're worshiping something that will never fulfill you. Her sin problem was actually a worship problem. And he begins to correct her view of worship. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. And then he says, by the way, I am that God. And the Father is seeking people who will who will turn away from worshiping themselves and worshiping men and worshiping all these things of the world and will begin to worship me. And then the disciples come back and interrupt the conversation as they usually do, do something stupid. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. So this was surprising to them because, again, Jesus is somewhere he shouldn't be talking to somebody he shouldn't be talking to. It's just, the whole thing is just confusing to them. And then his disciples, but nobody asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then, listen to, listen to how she responded after this. Then leaving her water jar, the very reason she came to the well, the woman went back to the town, the town that everybody knew her in, the town that she was embarrassed to be seen in, and she said to all the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 30, they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, listen, guys, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples looked at one another and said, could somebody have brought him some food while we were gone? And Jesus responds back. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest, a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. And I sent you to reap what you have not worked for and others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I love how this woman responds to a saving encounter with Jesus Christ. She literally leaves her water jar, like leaves what she came there with. The very most important thing to her at that point was this water that she was about to grab. But then she met Jesus and something became more important to her. 
Something became so important that literally she left her jar and she ran to tell everybody that she knew about this Jesus. Now keep in mind, these are the same people that she was trying to avoid, the same people uh, that knew her not for her holiness or not that she was a good person, but that knew that she had five husbands and that she uh, was getting around pretty good in the community. This is why I tell y'all all the time, if, if you're not living on mission, like if you have no desire for others to hear about Christ, then most likely you've not had a saving encounter with Jesus. Because listen, as soon as this lady met Christ and he introduced her to this satisfaction and this fulfillment, this deep well that she had been trying to fill with other things, other things, as soon as she met him and that deep desire in her heart was filled in him, all she wanted to do was tell other people about who this guy was and what he's done. The number one evidence of saving faith in the Bible is evangelism. Everywhere you look, when a person meets Christ, the first thing they want to do, even when Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody about this, is go out and tell somebody, hey, look what this guy's just done. Look what he just did for me. Look what he's done for my life. It's incredible, incredible when we begin to see and think about what Christ has done for people. This is why we say here often, saved people live sin. Now listen to the rest of the story. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed uh, in him because of this woman's testimony. It says, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him uh, to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is my, probably my favorite part of the whole story. This lady basically sparks a revival in the whole area of Samaria. And isn't this how our God works exactly? Like he takes broken, ordinary people and gets a hold of them and then uses them in extraordinary ways. He takes this lady, broken in her sin, ashamed of herself, her past, defined by her mistakes in the community, living in guilt and isolation, enslaved in her idolatry, looking for love in all of the wrong places. And he takes this woman and he meets her at this well exactly where she is and doesn't condemn her. Where everybody else was judging her, we would all probably make fun of her. Jesus meets her in this moment. He doesn't condemn her because John 3.17 says he didn't come to condemn, but he came to save. He draws her into repentance. He introduces her to a greater love, a greater fulfillment, a greater relationship, and literally sends her out, and she becomes one of the greatest missionaries in the entire Bible. Like, this is the story of our God. How, how marvelous and glorious that God could take people just like this lady, just like you and I, grab a hold of our lives, and then use us to literally bring salvation to other people. It's absolutely incredible. That's one of the things I love about Baptism Sunday is you get to see people, not me, in the baptism. Because, listen, God doesn't just want to use the preacher on the stage. You understand that, right? God wants to use us. He wants to use you. And he wants to do a work in your life. And that's exactly what encounters show us, is they teach us so much about the heart of Christ 
and they teach us so much about how Jesus meets us where we are and then does a work in our life and then what he does when he sends us back out. Anytime I study encounters with Jesus, I always ask three questions and I would recommend that you ask the same. The first is this, what does this teach us about the lady? What do we learn about her? Like, what, what do we learn about this person? And then just take some notes. Like, what do we learn about her? Secondly, what do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn about God in the flesh? This is God revealed through a person in Christ. What do we learn about God from this? And then lastly, what do we learn about the gospel? What do we learn about the good news of redemption for our lives? How does this apply into our lives? And I want to ask these questions, and then I want to close out. The first is this. What do we learn about this lady? Well, we learn a couple things. Um, one, we learn she's from Samaria and that Jewish people and Samaritans don't really get along. And Jesus, as a Jewish man, probably shouldn't have been in this place if he lived by the world's standards. But, of course, he kicked the door down on those and, and he lived on mission. The second thing we learn about her is that she was, had a promiscuous past, right? And that's being nice. That's the best word I know how to use. Um, she had five husbands, and she was living with a sixth person, um, a sixth man. And so what we learn is that she was looking for love in a lot of different places that weren't Christ. And she had gone through one man and thought he was going to satisfy her. That didn't happen. Went to another one, to another one, to another one, to another one. Now she was on her sixth man, and none of them were filling this hole in her heart. And she was embarrassed of it, as any person would be embarrassed of it. And she comes to a well at 12 because she's trying to avoid people from seeing her because she really is living in a ton of shame at this point in her life. But we also understand that she's not just that, but she's also really good at putting up walls. It's almost like she's done this before, like somebody has tried to talk to her about Christ, but they weren't able to, to help her understand enough. And so she puts up these barriers. The first one is, hey, you're a Jew. You shouldn't be here talking to me. Right? Basically, Jesus, hey, talk to the hand. I'm not trying to talk to you. Secondly, hey, give me this water so I don't have to come back here. Jesus is trying to give her something for eternity. She's like, well, just give me what's going to make earthly sense to me. I don't, I don't really want to talk about these heaven or spiritual things or salvation, but hey, if God can bless me, then I'll take the blessing, but I don't need him. Again, wall up. And then the third wall we see her put up is, hey, I don't have a husband. She's just straight up lies. Like, hey, don't get into my personal life. Like, ain't nobody trying to talk about my personal life. Did I say something about your personal life? I ain't trying to talk about your personal life. You do what you do, I'll do it. Have anybody ever heard that? Right? And so she just puts these walls up, and pretty much every angle that Jesus went, she gave an excuse or a barrier to keep him from her heart. Does this sound familiar? I mean, if you're in this room, then you probably can relate to this. We are so much like this lady. How many of us have put up walls or excuses when Jesus is trying to deal with our hearts? So many times in my life have I done this. And it can look a thousand different ways when God is just moving on your heart. Sometimes it's our past. We'll just look at God and we know he's trying to do something in our lives. And, and we just say, look, Jesus, I know you can work with everybody else, but you, you don't realize I'm, I'm a lost cause. You, you don't know what I've done. Uh, you, you don't know. Uh, there's just too much sin in me. I'm too broken. I've done too much wrong in my life for you to do anything. I know it works in other people, but there's no way you can do this in me. And we just hide behind our past. Sometimes it's our experience with church or Christians that keep us from Jesus. Yeah, yeah I don't know about the whole church thing, 
uh, I, I can't really stand Christians. They're all hypocrites anyway, uh, Billy. I got hurt at church one time really bad. And if that's who Jesus is that y'all talk about, then I want nothing to do with that. And we just hide behind one experience uh, from a person that probably wasn't a Christian that just went to church. And we literally allow this person to keep us from knowing the God of the universe. Or, or maybe uh, you relate more to this one. Sometimes it's just our love for sin. Like we love our lifestyle. And we recognize that if we come to Christ, that he is going to change us. And we're not willing to give up. We're not willing to count the cost and give up what God is going to ask us to give up. We know Jesus is not going to allow us to keep living the same life. And because of that, we keep him at a distance. And we keep believing that our way is better than God's way. And it works until it doesn't. And then at some point, your sin will lead you to destruction. And in that destruction you will probably begin to realize, hey, man, i got to find a different way. But here's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to get to the point of destruction before you turn to Christ. Like he's literally intervening in your life right now and saying, I'm here, stop putting up these walls because I have a plan for your life. Sometimes we hide behind our religiousness. We keep telling ourselves, man, I'm saved, Billy. I I prayed this prayer when I was five and I got baptized. I I know nothing in my life and nothing in my heart uh, reflects Christ at all, but I promise there was a moment where I prayed this prayer with a preacher down front. There's no surrender. There's no true love in your life for God or for the things of God, and you just keep lying to yourself as if something happened that never happened. And it keeps you from a genuine saving experience in Christ. And honestly, guys, most of the time, it's just our pride that keeps us from Christ. We just, we just don't want to come to the end of ourselves. We just can't let go. We, we, we want control more than we want Christ. We want our way more than we want Jesus. And it keeps us from the only well that will ever satisfy. Because there's literally only one way to come into the kingdom of God. And it's through the coming to the end of ourselves. Every person comes into the kingdom of God the same way. Humble, on their knees, and recognizing that apart from Christ, we're nothing. And we can do nothing. And when we get to that moment where we realize that our sin is leading us to destruction, not just us, but people around us, and that God has done something to make a way so that we can be reconciled back to him, and we realize this truth, it humbles us to know that even in our rebellion, Christ comes towards us. The second thing we ask is, what do we learn about Jesus? Well, we learn Jesus isn't concerned with social norms or religious rules. Like, Jesus isn't fitting into a religious box, if you know what I mean. Like, Jesus has kicked down the door to pretty much every Jewish custom that the Bible had set up. Not supposed to talk to a woman. Boom. Not supposed to go to Samaria. Boom. Not supposed to love people that don't fit this thing. Boom. Everything he had, he kicked it down because he loved all people and he wanted to save all people. You see, Jesus came on a very specific mission, and that mission was to seek and save lost people. 
and he had a divine appointment in Samaria and there was nothing including what anybody thought about it that was going to keep him from getting to this lady and then lastly we learn about the gospel we learn some things about the gospel the first is that the gospel is extremely personal it's personal Jesus meets people in a very personal way exactly where they are he sought this lady out and he dealt directly with her heart and this is exactly what he does in a room this size of four or five hundred people sitting in this room God deals through the Spirit with individuals and he can do that and that's what the gospel does is he shows us that it's not that Jesus died for the person to the right and to the left of me but it was me that he came and sought out and it's me that he's after because he's stirring in my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit to surrender as all these baptism testimonies said just to give my life up to get to the end of myself to see that there's only one well that can can stir up and satisfy the desires of my heart and he's probably doing it right now in this room and that's the Spirit of God at work in your life and I beg you don't put the barrier up because Jesus can way white through it. He's just going to run right through it in your life. We see that there's no conversion without conviction of sin first. Jesus doesn't let this lady just sit on sin in her life. No, he addresses it because he loves her. And he'll do the same in our life. He knows you. He knows the deepest, darkest things about you. And he's going to come through those to say, hey, what you're looking for in that I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to provide in a superior way than you're looking for. You know, Jesus alone can quench the spiritual thirst in mine and your life. We all look like this lady. We've gone astray. We're looking to things other than Jesus to satisfy us. But the truth of the gospel is that only one thing can bring the satisfaction, and that's Christ alone. And then probably the most important thing is that we see that the gospel literally changes everything. In this lady's life, she would never be the same again. She left her water jar. She became the greatest evangelist ever. She literally went from the town uh, prostitute to a great evangelist for God in a day. Through one experience with Christ, he saved her, he changed her. In one moment, she didn't need the water. She didn't need the men anymore. All she needed was Christ. The only opinion that mattered in her life was Christ. And man, God used her to spark a revival. God used her to change people's lives. How many of us know in this room that literally there are people in this world that God wants to use you, not me, not the person to your right or to your left, but wants to use you to bring salvation into this person's life? Hear me right. You're, you don't save anybody, but God chooses to use us as his vehicles to take the good news and share our testimony with people and bring them from death to life. And for us not to surrender to him this morning is to give up the opportunity for him to use us in that way. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head and I'll close with this. Maybe you're in this room today and you don't have a relationship with God. You've never had a relationship with Christ. You've never had an experience like this lady where God met you where you were. You were honest about your sin. And Christ saved you and he changed you and he gave you new desires to love God and to want to be used 
by God. And this morning, you know that that's what God's stirring in your heart. And if that's you and you're here this morning, today's the day of salvation in your life. Don't wait. Respond to the gospel and allow the Lord to do a work in your heart. And that's you. I'm going to ask you to be bold. I want you to raise your hand as high as you can and say, Billy, that's me. That's where I'm at this morning. I want God. I want Christ to do a work in my life. Is that anybody in here? I'll give you a second. Anybody? Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Or maybe you're in this room and your life has never been about the mission of God. You've never seen that God actually saved you on purpose for a purpose. And today you say, Billy, that I need to step into that. And I need to be equipped to do that. And maybe that's your next step. Would today be the day that you say, God, I want to be used by you. What is it in me that you need to change so that I can be used for your glory? So, Father, that's our prayer today. God, thank you for moving in the hearts of people. God, thank you for the baptisms that we got to witness today. God, thank you for changing their hearts and changing their lives. Lord, I pray for the people in this room this morning that have indicated they want to be saved. God, would you do a work in their hearts? Lord, I pray for the people in this room that, God, they just don't recognize that your way is better than theirs. And God, that you have a plan and a purpose for their life. And that purpose is to bring eternal salvation to others. And so, Lord, would you wake us up and, God, begin to use us for your glory, not only in this community, but to the ends of the earth. And God, that's our prayer. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here and we'll see you back next week.